It's great to see you today. We're on our series where we're looking at relationships and marriage. And today, we'll talk about fanning the flame of romance. When you think about the things that cause the biggest problems in marriage, it can be finances is big, communication problems are big, arguments about the children can be big, but sex is one of the biggest problems that married couples can have. And yet, it's an important thing. It's one of the reasons why we get married, right? So you get married expecting things to be ideal, but it doesn't work out the way that you're expecting. And often there's a big gap between what you were hoping for and the, the reality of your sex life in marriage. But God's the one that invented sex. And I think if we wanted to say like, hmm, I want to have a great sex life, which by the way, I think you should want to have a great sex life. So if you said, I want to have a great sex life, who would you turn to to discover how to do that? Well, I would turn to the person that invented it. I would go to God. What did God create for us here? What did God say? I want to look at Genesis 2, verse 22 and verse 25. It says, then God made a woman and brought her to the man. This is it, Adam exclaimed. The man and his wife were both naked, but neither was embarrassed or ashamed. Adam sees this woman for the first time. And he says, this is it. He's excited. If you read it in the original language, it's written in a way that it's sexual in its content. Like this is it, but in a positive way. Like this is what I've been longing for. And part of it is the sexual part of it. And they had no shame. They were naked. They had no shame. I want to look at why did God create sex? Well, one of the reasons why God created it is to provide unity. It's a physical expression of two people being one. It's physically you uniting together. But what happens when you physically unite with that person, you also emotionally unite with that person. At least if it's a healthy relationship, there should be a, an emotional connection. Under a healthy, normal relationship, you already love each other. You have these emotional feelings for each other. Sex is an emotional bonding. It's a physical bonding. A lot of people don't realize that in the Bible it's a spiritual bonding. Sex is a spiritual bonding. You're bonding with that person in all the different ways. There's five times that where the Bible says, two shall become one. It's a theme throughout the Bible when it comes to marriage, that two people are now going to be one, but when you read it and understand it, it never says really that two people become one by being married. If you really read it, it's two people become one through the action of sex together. Do you know that? So you can be married, but that's not what makes two one. Sex is part of that. It's like we're uniting together sexually. So God created sex to be something that causes you to be bonded with that person, connected with that person in the most intimate way. A second thing is it provides enjoyment. God gave us sex for pleasure. It's a gift from God. So you want to enjoy it. God gives you a gift. Hey, this is for your pleasure. That's a great thing. The third thing we're really good at this one throughout the world. It's a commandment that we've been really good at obeying, and it's producing children. 
where it says be fruitful and multiply as a, a world. We've done really good. It might be the only commandment that the world's obeyed as a whole to produce children. That's one of the reasons a sex is there. It's not the only reason. The sad truth is a lot of couples have gotten that third benefit. They produced children. But it doesn't mean that they're enjoying their sex life. It doesn't mean that they feel emotionally connected and unity with one another right now. Emotionally connected, spiritually connected. And God didn't design sex just to have kids. You know, he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to be connected to that person. Obviously, we know through Scripture, that's why when you look at Scripture, marriage and sex go together. The idea of having sex with someone that you're not married to doesn't really make sense from a biblical point of view. The purpose is, like, I'm, I'm going to be one with you. We're going to be together forever. We're making a lifetime commitment to each other. We're going to enjoy this together. So our world and our culture don't match with the concept that the Bible has of what that's for. And that's probably why there's so much divorce. That's probably why there's so much problems in the world. So many of the problems in the world that we have is children without a father in the home. All these type of things can create big, big problems in a society. So if God wants us to enjoy this, I want us to look at keys to enjoyment. Number one in your notes, cultivate healthy attitudes. One of the reasons why our sex life isn't what it could be is our attitudes about sex aren't biblical. We have unhealthy views, unhealthy attitudes about it. These can be attitudes that you picked up in the schoolyard. You could get an unhealthy view of sex through media, maybe through personal bad experiences that you've gone through. Maybe you got an unhealthy view of sex through your parents. Maybe they were saying sex is evil, sex is wrong, or whatever. But it made you have an unhealthy view of what sex is. So how do you get God's attitude about sex? There's only one way that you're going to really know God's attitude about sex is to read the Bible. It's the only way. If I want to know what's God's attitude about sex, I've got to go into his word. And he's going to teach us an attitude that's healthy. He created sex, like we said. He wants you to have a healthy sexual life. And your attitude determines your actions. So if you're understanding God's purpose and his attitude behind it, that's going to affect your actions when it comes to sex. But if you don't understand God's attitude and you take on some other attitude that's not biblical, that's also going to show in your actions. And so what you learn, your attitude, what you understand about it is going to affect your sex life and it can make it really good if you're on the right track or it can make it really bad if you're not. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected, but all is to be received with a prayer of thanks. That's everything. So what that's saying is, it's healthy and spiritual to say, thank you, God, for sex. That's biblical. Thank you, God, for sex. It's a healthy thing. All things that God created are good, and that includes sex. And said so we should give God's prayer of thanks. So... If you and your spouse have a great sex life, 
That's another thing that you praise God for. That's what it says. You praise God for, for everything that God's given us. It's good. Because everything that God created is good. It's a part of what God made. It's a part of his design. Sex is not sinful. It's never been sinful. It's not like a necessary evil that we have to put up with. Now, the perversion of sex can be sinful. The misuse of sex, the abuse, obviously those things are wrong. But sex in the right place between a man and a woman in marriage, the Bible makes it very clear that it's a healthy part of your life. We should accept it. I'm not saying that people don't feel guilty or shame, but what I'm saying is no one needs to feel guilty or shame about sex. Sex is not something to be guilty about. It's not something to be shamed about. In the right setting, it's a beautiful thing created by God. Lovemaking between a man and a woman is actually sacred. Look at this verse in Hebrews. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. It kind of changes your view of what it means when you say, hey, let's be spiritual. Because they're saying the spiritual thing to do is to have a good sex life with your husband or wife. That's the spiritual good thing to do. You know, when I think about being spiritual, I think about reading my Bible, praying, having sex with my wife. <laughs> Usually we don't include that, right? God did. Why? Because sex isn't dirty. It's holy. It's sacred. There's spiritual implications about it. Why would that be holy and sacred? Because it's something that God designed. God designed that for Adam and Eve. He didn't make Adam and Eve and say, oh, by the way, don't have sex with one another. Let's watch them fail on this temptation. No, that's not what he did. He designed them for each other, wanting them to have sex with one another, wanting that to be a part of their enjoyment in life. It's healthy. It's good. It was the right way to go. When I was a teenager and I thought I had sex figured out, it's not what you think when you actually get married and you have a relationship with somebody. And it's not just an act or an event. And I'm talking about a Christian point of view where you're not having sex with somebody that you, you know, you love this person. You want to marry them. You're with them. In fact, you know, first time I ever made love was with my wife after we were married on our wedding night. Because I already knew this. I was already studying this before that. So I'm someone that says, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to do what God says. I'm not going to do what I feel like doing because do you think I felt like waiting? Absolutely not. I didn't feel like waiting. But I believed God is true. So by faith, I put into practice what I believe to be true. And you get married and you realize sex really does bond you. There's an emotional bond that takes place there. It's not just a physical act that takes place. And it affects your heart. It affects your mind. It affects the way that you feel about the person. It's really impactful on your life. It's not just that physical act. Red Book Magazine took a survey of women. And you know Red Book Magazine is not a Christian magazine. But in their survey, they found out that the more spiritual a woman was... She had a higher satisfaction in her sex life. That's interesting. You know, for Red Book Magazine to say 
they, they surveyed women, and the ones that were the most spiritual, committed to their faith, they didn't say what faith, just faith, you know. Those were the women that when they also ch- asked them questions and details about their sex life, they were most satisfied. The people that were the least spiritual were having the least satisfying sex life. I thought, that's interesting that they discovered that. But it makes sense to me because if someone's following God's pattern for sex, where they're emotionally bonding, they're spiritually bonding, it's just not a physical act, of course that's going to be more meaningful and more satisfying. But if I view sex as something I'm just trying to do because of my own pleasure, something I'm trying to get, well, I doubt that that's really going to have a deep satisfaction in your life. So it makes a lot of sense to me. The problem is we sometimes as parents make the mistake of teaching our kids that sex is bad, like saying no, for example, to sex, rather than saying wait. There's a big difference. If I teach my kids when it comes to sex, no, that's implying that maybe it's bad. It's wrong. And then they do a 30-minute ceremony. Now all of a sudden it's okay? This little ceremony, now, now it's okay? When all my life I've been thinking this is bad, this is wrong, don't do it, and now it's okay. No, it's not bad. The answer is not no. The answer is wait. You know, we, we can t- teach our kids that sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing within the right context. Okay, so wait till the right context. And what does that do? It can save people a lot of emotional heartache, a lot of mental scars. One thing about doing counseling like I do, you realize how much pain and hurt has taken place in people's lives because of sex being abused. So you want to give your kids the very best. So I encourage you to never teach them, no, like it's wrong because there's nothing wrong about it. It's wait. Wait for the right time. In Proverbs 5, it says, Be happy, yes, rejoice in your wife. Let her tender embrace satisfy you. Let her love alone fill you with delight. That word delight, it meant to be intoxicated by her. And enthralled by her. The idea here is, this is talking about sex. This means, let her steal away your senses. And what I like about it is this is God talking. This is scripture. It's God's ideal for sex. That is fantastic. That is fun. It's something that we enjoy together. It's very different than what people think the Bible teaches about sex. See, people get things wrong. They get the Puritans mixed up with the Victorians. The Puritans were Christians. The Victorians weren't. It was a cultural thing. The Puritans had no problem with sex. The Victorians did. The Puritans, you know, they're the ones that came over Thanksgiving and all that. It was a different century. It wasn't even the same century. So people think the Puritans were a certain way. It was a group of non-Christians, or not necessarily non-Christians. It was a group of society. Some of them were probably Christians. Some weren't. But it was the Victorians in a different century that treated sex like it was taboo. It wasn't the Puritans. In fact, I read something I thought it was really funny. It said, it was talking about this uh, woman back in those days, and 
they were Puritan, so they went, she went to the pastor and was complaining to the pastor in the church that her husband wasn't having sex with her. So they excommunicated him. <laughs> the Bible says you're supposed to have a good sex life with your wife, so you're out of the church until you get your act together. Could you imagine that? I thought, that's kind of funny. People don't understand that, because they were serious about the Bible. If the Bible says, have a healthy sex life with your wife, then you need to do that. So you're disobeying. So you're not a part of this church until you get your act together. Go home and sleep with your wife. Isn't that the funniest thing? But that's what they actually did. So the Bible has always taught that sex is a good thing. It's man that teaches otherwise. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, use every part of your body to glorify God. I think every part of your body includes every part of your body. Use every part of your body to glorify God. How can I glorify God? A good sex life. That's using part of my body, using my whole body to glorify God, having a healthy sex life. 40% of religious women said their biggest hang-up was inhibition. And it's because we get into this thing that I'm saying, well, you're taught that no instead of wait. And they don't understand God's view of sex. When a husband and wife make love, it's pleasing to God. It's not just something that you do to have children. When you adopt God's attitude, your sexual problems start falling by the wayside. God wants you to have a fantastic sex life. The second thing I want us to look at is communicate. We need to communicate honest feelings. If I want to have a good sex life, not only do I need to have the right mind and understanding, realizing sex is from God. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something God wants me to enjoy. It's supposed to be fantastic. I'm not supposed to feel guilt or shame. This is a beautiful thing when you have sex within God's context. Then the second thing is communicate honest feelings. In Proverbs 13, 17, it says, reliable communication permits progress. To restore the passion, to make a good thing better, I have to be open-minded. I have to be open in what I feel about it. I have to be honest about what I feel. I have to be frank and say what I feel. The problem is, a lot of couples aren't comfortable talking about sex with one another. We can take our clothes off in front of each other and do it, but we can't talk about it. Well, that's going to create some problems because if I'm going to please my wife, if she's going to please me, we probably have to have some communication. I might be doing things that I think would make her happy, but it doesn't. I'm probably doing what would make me feel happy, thinking it works for her too. People think, just do what comes naturally. No, 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 that doesn't work. If you do what comes naturally, you'll do what you think is right, but she's different. He's different. You think that he's pleased and maybe he's not. You think that she's pleased and maybe she's not. So you have to communicate. The only way I can know for sure that my sex life is working is if I talk to her, if she talks to me. Maybe one of us aren't happy, but we feel too much shame to talk about it. The only way you can know, yeah, our sex life is great, is if you talk about it. And then you're going to probably find if you're really open and honest and you're talking about it, you're going to find ways to please each other even better. Because now you know. Now you know. You didn't know before. And my view is, when it comes to pleasure, I know pleasure isn't everything, but when it comes to sex and pleasure, 
I want to have the very best. Because I'm married, right? That's my only option. That's my only moral option, I should say. Do I have any other moral option I can take for pleasure in that way? There's other options out there. But as someone trying to do the right thing, that's my only moral option I have is to have a great sex life with my wife. So you know what I want to do is I want to have a great sex life with my wife. If this is my only option and I don't talk about it and I'm not satisfied or things aren't going the way that I'd hoped and desired and I don't talk about it, guaranteed that your only option is going to be bad. You've got to be able to talk about it. You've got to be able to work it through. You've got to be able to be honest about your needs, your desires, your wants, your likes, your dislikes. But when both people are like, are like that, you can create a much better, a much more satisfying sex life. But if I just think it's going good, I probably don't really have a clue. I'm just guessing, and I'm probably wrong. So be willing to learn. Be willing to experiment. Be willing to listen to them and change without feeling hurt. Like you might think, well, I thought things were good, and you feel hurt that they weren't enjoying it. Well, learn. Try new things. That's okay. People are different. Be specific. Don't beat around the bush. One of the problems with communication when it comes to sex is we beat around the bush and we're not clear enough. And you have to be clear when you're talking. You know, a vague statement is, come home early today. A specific statement is, be home by 5 p.m. Vague, come home early. What does that mean? I get home at 9. I thought that was early. It's not 10. It's vague. A vague statement, I'll do it later. What does later mean? Two years from now? I mean, I don't know what that means. I'll do it before Thursday. That's specific. Vague. I went to the store today and they had a great sale. Specific. Our credit card is over the limit. There's vague things and there's specific things. And you don't want to be vague. You want to be specific. You want to be detailed. You want to be willing to communicate in a way that that person knows what's going on. That person understands what your needs are. You know and you understand because why? You want to have a great sex life. That's normal. That's healthy to want that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other and build each other up. We want to encourage each other. We want to build each other up. How can I build them up? By listening to them. By finding out where they're coming from. We need to cultivate healthy attitudes. We need to communicate honest feelings. And number three, we need to create helpful adjustments. Helpful adjustments. There's going to be adjustments in life. I think maybe what's comfortable and good for your sex life right now in eight years might not be the same. You might be a little bit different. Things change. So there's adjustments that take place. And there again, you can't have those adjustments if there's no communication. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. When you're married, 
the day that you married, you gave your partner rights to your body. My body is not just mine anymore. It now belongs to Tanya. Her body is not just hers anymore. Her body now belongs to me. The two have become one. I want to use my body to please her. She wants to use her body to please me. That's a part of marriage. That's part of what we do. If you didn't want that type of relationship, you shouldn't have gotten married. Because that is part of marriage. Sex is a part of marriage. And you're also knowing that if my body belongs to her, then before I get married, I want to really get to know her well. Do I just want to give my body to anybody? Before she marries me, she needs to know me well. Does she just want to give her body to anybody? So mine is yours, yours is mine. We're, we're together on this. Our culture tends to have this idea of sex is something that you go to get for yourself. Especially if you see any movies that are geared toward people 25 and younger. Sex is all about you going after to get what you want. And it's very selfish. But the Bible is the complete opposite. It's about giving. My desire is to please you. Her desire is to please me. Now, can you imagine two people that have that desire? Their number one goal is to please one another, and they have open communication. Because think about it. If my number one desire is to please Tanya, how can I do it if we don't have open communication for me to know what pleases her? If her number one desire is to please me, how can she do it if we don't have open communication so that she knows how to please me. So we have open communication, and then my goal is to please her. When two people are doing that, and their goal is to please each other, both people are going to be pleased, but no one's going in it with an attitude of, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. You're going into it with an attitude of trying to please them, but because they're doing the same thing, you end up having a really great sex life. Every couple struggles with adjusting sexually. In the LA Times, it said, studies revealed that satisfactory adjustment of sexual relations takes the average couple about six years. That means if you're the average couple, you're not 100% completely feeling like, wow, we've got this thing together, right? For six years. For six years. So maybe that's you, and you're saying, oh, so that's normal. I was thinking, what's wrong with us? Why aren't we quite getting there? It goes on to say, 12% of the couples studied were able to make satisfactory sexual adjustments within their first year of marriage. Then it goes on to say, they're the lucky ones. Only 12% of the other 88% don't. Only 12% of married couples are having a great sex life in their first year where they've made the adjustments like, this is really good. Okay? Only 12%. So that means four out of, well, almost the nine out of 10 people don't. So if you're in your marriage and the first year went by and you weren't quite there and you're probably feeling like, what's wrong with us? Why, you know, actually that seems to be normal according to uh, what the LA Times said. I'm assuming that they got research to say this. They said at the other extreme, 10% of the couples took up to 20 years to arrive at adjustments that gave them a satisfying love life. Some couples, it took 20 years, 20 years for them to have a good, healthy sex life. A lot of those couples are situations where 
Both people are working too many hours during the day to make it. Believe it or not, they're more apt to be in wealthier areas. And they have kids. And with the kids and this and that, they're tired all the time. They're tired. When the kids finally grew up and the finances were easier to make and they had more time on their hands, they found out that they actually do have a great sex life. But it was hard to get there with life going on. So these are just some of the things that they find out. But what does this say overall? What it tells me is don't give up. It takes time. If the first year goes by and you're working on it and you're making adjustments, but sex isn't as good as it, that you feel like it could be, don't give up. It takes time. The second year goes by, the third year goes by. Because if the average couple doesn't get there to six years, then you're probably doing okay. It's normal. We feel like it's not normal because in our mind, everybody else is having a great sex life except for us. It's not true. It's not true. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, your husbands must be careful of your wives, being thoughtful of their needs. Women are complex. And I think it's going to take the guy his entire lifetime to figure her out. You know, women are hard for us guys to figure out. And that can be a frustration. Or you can choose to see it as something exciting and new and changing. It's your choice how you see it. It's not going to change. The only thing that can change is my attitude about it. I choose to see it as new and exciting and different. Because I, I want to enjoy life, so I choose to see it in those ways. Song of Solomon 6.12 says, You have made me eager for love. He's talking about, in this part of the Bible, about that atmosphere for lovemaking. See, I think a lot of times, I know me as a man, I underestimate and I undervalue that atmosphere. But I know that women tend to be more concerned about the atmosphere. Like, the curtain's not shut. The lights are on too bright. The lights are too dark. It's too hot in the room. It's too cold. You need to take a shower. You need to shave. You need to brush your teeth. The kids are still up. See, a lot of those things, as a man, the curtain's not shut all the way. Oh, that's okay. The lights are too bright. Oh, that's good. The lights are too dark. Oh, let's get them bright. It's too hot. Oh, I'm fine. It's okay. Uh, it's too cold. No, it's okay. Guys are a lot different sometimes. Sometimes that atmosphere doesn't matter as much. Uh, the kids are still up. Okay, I'll lock the door. That's not the solution that she's saying. God put a whole book in the Bible, and it's committed to sex within marriage. Isn't that interesting? There's 66 different books in the Bible, and you have Song of Solomon, and it's a whole story of this relationship between this man and woman, Solomon and his wife, and it, it's about their meeting. It's about the courting that takes place. It's about the engagement. It's about the wedding, and it's about the wedding night. It's about sex. It's not just about sex. It's that whole thing. It describes it all, and it's an example in the Bible what mature love should look like. And it's interesting that God wanted us to have such a healthy sex life that one book of the Bible is just devoted to that, nothing else. People say, well, it's also a symbol of God's love for the church. Yeah, it could be. But when you read it, it never says, by the way, this is a symbol of God's love for the church. When you read it, it's about Solomon and his wife and what good, healthy marriage and courtship 
and dating and sex looks like. A whole book in the Bible that tells me that God cares about sex. It's important enough for him to put that in there. I know we care about sex. We think about it a lot. It's good to know that God cared about it as well. It's not just us. In this book, he describes atmosphere like it talks about complimenting each other, attractive attire, affectionate touching, having a special place together, using fragrance, intimate talk, a total commitment. These are all talked about in there. Affection is that atmosphere. Sex is the event. And what happens is, as you read it, I know as a man, as you're reading it, reading it, you understand so much better how to connect with a woman. Because as a man, I'm a microwave. You put the food in the microwave and bing, it's ready to go. It doesn't take any time. And that's how I'm, when it comes to sex, I'm ready to go. But as a woman, she's a crock pot. You put the food in the morning and it cooks all day long. And you see that dynamic when you read the Song of Solomon that as a man, you might not notice. Because as a man, because you function this way, you just sort of assume that that's how sex works. So I can be busy all day at work, not bother to call her because I'm doing this and that. I can come home and eat. I'm focusing on my food. Sit down and watch TV, focus on the TV. She might be sitting next to me. I can get in the bed and being, I can focus on her. And she's a million miles away. Because she's not a microwave. She's not like, she doesn't react like that. While her, she's a crockpot. And as I see the Song of Solomon, what takes place, I realize that she needs to feel loved throughout the day. To me, it's automatic. Of course I love you. But she needs to feel loved. So in the morning, the affection that I show her, the nice conversation, instead of me being in a rush to run out and not give her any attention... Uh, getting up early enough to drink coffee with her and connect with her instead of wanting to sleep that extra 15 minutes or whatever. And then sending her a text during the day here and there and then call her on the phone and say, hey, how's it going? How are the kids? Talking about the kids with her. Do you think talking about the kids can affect your sex life? It can. Because she sees, you're thinking about me. You're thinking about me with these kids all alone. You're not just thinking about yourself. I'm on your mind. And it makes her feel Love. Now, it's not that she wasn't on my mind. It's just I'm busy doing other things, and I don't know that that's important. Because as a guy, it's not that important to me. We just think differently. I'm doing this now, then I'll do this, then I'll do this. When I get home, I'll do that. It's just the way that we're wired. But she's not wired that way. And then I come home, and instead of going straight to the refrigerator or straight to the TV, I go straight to her. I give her a kiss, and we talk. Hey, how's it going? And then, instead of me just eating something, I'll eat with her. And I'll eat with the kids. We'll find something that we can sit together and watch together. And I'm snuggling with her on the couch. And then when we get to the bedroom, if we do end up making love, she doesn't feel a million miles away. I'm not saying that we make love every night. We don't. But what I'm trying to say is, when you create a lifestyle of connection with your wife, when you're in bed with her, it's easy for her to respond to you because she doesn't feel like, well, where's this coming from? I haven't seen you all day. You haven't called me all day, da, da, da. And now, boom. And she'll interpret it like, I'm only after sex. And you can understand why she would feel that way once you understand how a woman thinks. Well, I'm thinking, 
No, I'm not only after sex. Of course I love you. I was just busy all day. What do you expect? Song of Solomon, read it. It opens up your eyes to how to be a better man with your wife. A whole book in the Bible about sex. I don't know why that wasn't the first book I ever studied. I guess I didn't realize that that was what it was about. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, it says, Do not cheat each other of normal sexual relations unless you both decide to abstain temporarily to make special time for prayer. But afterwards, you should resume relations as before or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptations of Satan. That means that sex is never supposed to be used as a weapon. Like, I'm mad at you, so no sex here. What it means is I'm mad at you, let's work on the relationship. But we don't use sex as a weapon or as a reward. It's not like that. And you don't want to go too long without having sex because then it's saying that it becomes a temptation. And it does. Have you ever been on a diet before? A diet where you're not allowed to eat certain foods? What do you think about all day long? There's certain foods that you're not allowed to eat. Like, I'm on a low-carb diet. I'm not eating carbs. What do you think about all day? Oh, those cookies over there. But I'm not allowed. Oh, they're having a po- oh, I'm not allowed pasta today. What it does, it has the opposite effect on your mind. The part that you're not supposed to have, that's what you want. Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve? They could eat every piece of fruit in the garden on any tree except for, just don't touch this tree. What was on their mind the whole time? The forbidden fruit. Was that fruit better, tastier? No. It was just their mind. It's a story that shows us exactly how our minds work. What we think we can't have is what we want the most. I'm going to tell you about temptation. When you're not having a healthy sex life with your spouse, you're going to desire that. And when you're desiring it and you're not getting it, you're going to be thinking about it a lot. It's natural to have sexual desires. When the door is closed at home, it becomes way too easy for a person to start thinking about it with other people, start desiring it because we desire sex. If this door is closed, I still desire it. These doors don't seem closed. I've made a commitment. I think we all should as believers. I want my wife to have the best lover in the whole world. And I want it to be me. Okay? What does that mean? That means I'm committing to being the best lover in the world. So I want to do that. If couples do that with each other, it can save them a lot of problems. I'm not using these problems as an excuse for an affair. You know what I mean? I'm not saying, well, that was an excuse to go and disobey God. She disobeyed God in this way, so that allows me to disobey God in this way. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm still responsible for God. But what I'm saying is, I'm talking to people that are here to hear the Bible. I'm saying two people that choose to follow God, then you do everything you can to meet one another's needs. That's what I'm saying. But I'm not giving it an excuse for me to, like she did wrong, so that gives me the excuse to do wrong. No. You tell your kids, well, well, my, my friends do that. Well, if your best friend jumped off of a cliff, would you? You know, well, it's the same thing for us. If they're doing something wrong, does that mean I have the right to do something wrong? I think the common cause in most people that I deal with for a sexual life that's not very satisfying, a lot of it has to do with the busy schedules that a lot of people have. Maybe it's the area that we live in, but I 
almost all the time, not all the time, but almost all the time, it's lives that are so busy that when you get in bed, all you want to do is sleep. <laughs> I'm running all day. She's running all day. And, and then you get home, and I like to connect, but I'm just tired. And what you have to do is if you want to keep a good, healthy sex life, you have to plan for it. And you have to take that into consideration so that you can plan for it. It says, do not cheat each other of normal sexual relations. Why does God say, why does he say this? Because we know it's a temptation. We know that this is something that can ruin our life. We know that this is something in this world that can cause us to do something that would ruin our marriage. God is saying, I want you to have the best marriage ever. Keep that sexual flame glowing. Be deliberate in planning and scheduling things in such a way that you can keep sex fun. Sometimes go out. Get away. Go out for a weekend. Just have a romantic time together. You know, find a way to get away from the kids and just have an erotic adventure together with your spouse. I don't want them to have it with anybody else. Have it with me. You know, we can have a great time together. From my counseling experience with people, I found that any couple can have a great sex life if they're willing to practice these things, but it takes deliberate work. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it takes deliberate work. Like, I have to make some changes. I have to work on it. I have to work on it to make it happen. And I believe anybody can make it happen if they're willing to do whatever work it takes. But it does take two people working on it. If one person's trying and the other person doesn't want to, what can you do? All you can do is your part. But I'm saying when two people decide, we're going to work on this. We're both, I'm going to do my part. These are the issues I need to deal with. These are the issues I need to deal with. The couple has a great sex life. All it takes is both people willing to try, and they can have a great sex life. For some people, this can be a very painful message because this is an area that causes a lot of hurt and disappointment and frustration and bitterness because when you got in the relationship, you assume that you're going to have a great sex life. You do. You think it's just going to happen. And then when, the, when things don't go the way that you want it, it can be very painful. It can really hurt you. It can really mess up your mind and your heart. What I want to encourage you to do is be intentional and be willing. If you need to go to counseling for it, go to counseling. If you need to read books about it, read books about it. Be willing to do everything you can to make it great. Don't just pray about it. Well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be faithful to God, and if I keep praying, God is going to change things. Probably won't work that way. You know how God designs things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's always that connection this way and that connection this way going at the same time. So what you do is you pray about it. God, I need your help, and then get some counseling from somebody as well. Those are the ways that work. Some of you have shared with me miracles that have happened with your finances. And some people here have shared with me miracles that have happened with their health. People have shared with me miracles that have happened in something to do with their children. But yet, at the same time, you could be sitting here seeing those other miracles and not believe that there's any hope in having a good sex life. I'm saying the same God that did the miracle in the finances, that did the miracle with your children, the same God that did the miracle with your health, is the same God that can do a miracle with your sex life and make it really good. 
So trust God to do something big. Trust him to work it out. I want to lead us in a prayer. And let's, just like we offer ourselves up to God, we offer our sex life up to God. Let's pray to him right now. You can pray this along with me silently. Dear God, our desire is to have a great sex life. If you're married right now, you can pray this. Lord, I'm making a commitment to doing everything I can to help our marriage have the best sex life possible. If you're single, you can pray this. God, I'm going to do everything I can right now in my life to be the type of person so that when I'm married, I'm going to be able to commit to having the best sex life possible. Lord, we know that this is important to you, Lord, or else you wouldn't have put a whole book in the Bible about it. You wouldn't have put all these verses about it. Lord, we know this is important to you. We're making this important to us as well. We lift up every part of our life to you, including our sex life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.